working with the Queensland on the 19th, and we had uh, a very simple, very effective game model um, that everyone knew their role within the game model. Um, and all our, our game plan, both of attack and defence, revolved around that. Med- if you're working with a team full time over the course of the season, like you're pre season, you should be able to coach you like, how do you, what's your philosophy or what is your um, tactical idea? What's your, you, again, it's just all come back to what your game model is. And then as a, a spirit conditioning coach, how am I going to help you achieve that game model? <laughs> G'day, Jared. How are you? Good, mate. How are you going? I'm going really well today. Thank you. How's the weather up there in uh, Sydney? Uh, it's not been too bad. Yes, I'm pretty chilly, but uh, it's been all right today. We're it was It was brisk, but not like one bear. Probably a bit better than Canberra. Yeah, today's actually been pretty good. You know, like for, for, for most people, it'd be like, Jesus, it's freezing. But um, I think it's like 10 degrees nearly now, and the sun's out. I went for a lake walk just before so it's pretty good so can't complain for us this is uh quite nice and it gives you hope that um no the the warmer weather is just around the corner in pitch yeah it's coming soon mm. but then we complain about the heat anyway so you can't you can't win so so ha- ha- how's the year been going so far and what have you been up to uh it's it's been uh up and beer i uh was uh working with uh the south sydney rabbitos up until april and uh, finished up there, and then um, just lately I've been uh, working with uh, got back with Kit last week with the Queensland under nineteen, which was was awesome. It was a really good camp. Um, so obviously it's a little bit different when you go into those kind of uh, camp style uh, situations. Like you don't have full control in what the guys are doing. It's more about gathering intel and gathering data and more of that uh, management style of of coaching and, and keeping everyone on track there. So, uh, which was a good sea change. We, we didn't get the result we wanted, but uh, I think um, the QRL has got some some really good people in place there. So I think we some goals. Mm. I think the NRL do that quite well with the state of origin and you get to identify some really good talent coming from both states and you, ha- you have the many different age groups as well. So there's many opportunities for these kids to, to stand out and potentially continue along their path towards playing the NRL and then, you know, once they're in there, potentially play State of Origin as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's that's probably one. Um, there's good and bad still with the amount of coverage some of the young people always get now and, and girls. Um, I think it's good so, so people can kind of see, especially like the other hardcore fans, you want to see the next generation for, for their clubs and that kind of thing. Um, but also like there's the pressure and, um, maybe some more ego things that, that come with the line as well. But no, it's I, overall, I think it's really good. It's good that uh, people can see what's coming up. Oh. How long did you have the camp for, for those kids? Uh, we were in camp for seven days. So we went uh, Friday to play Thursday, so yeah, seven days. What what was it like in the camp? Did you do any uh, gym stuff as well? Or was it mainly just field stuff and a little bit of testing? Or Yeah, you know, it was... Uh, Really good. We, um, I suppose, uh, Matt Ballon was the head coach, uh, and he's currently an assistant coach at the, the Broncos. Um, so basically, uh, probably 
when they put two out from the camp and then all I sat down on a couple of calls and really made a point of um, planning out our week. Uh, so we have, we play on Thursday, so we work backwards from there. Um, probably a little bit more intensity in our training. Um, than what we used to in a week, but obviously we had to like do some install and stuff like that. So we had early in the kit with day one was, was kind of like a we are us hadn't done too much training up until that point. Um instead of game the previous week. So a few small sided games, that kind of thing. Um and next day was just a, a wall through so we made again made quite no, no running at all. Just walking and, and jogging, just getting through some shapes, um, and then we built up our next two training sessions. So we had a, a pretty heavy contact day the next day, um, and so we were opposed day on the uh, on the Monday. Yeah, the when the Tuesday, sorry, was a, a day off. Um, the players had a bit of treatment and stuff like that during that day. Wednesday, captains run, and then so. Tried to probably mimic what would be a normal week for, for the guys um, in terms of like heavy days and load ups. Um, and then there's little gym sessions in there as well. And, and all, the, all the gym stuff was um, basically myself going to the uh, heads of performance or the elite pathways guys at each of the respective pipes and just say, hey, this is our plan. Can make sure you guys got a program, whether it's on any of the apps or is it Excel still or whatever it might be? Um, we had access to a couple of decent gyms there. And then both as the strength and conditioning case, just more of just supervising. And then if they have an exercise, the equipment's not there or they needed something different, we could, um, I suppose, put our SNC brainers to use and, and find something that was similar um, to the same training effect. No, it's awesome. I always feel like. When you when it, when it comes to state of origin, especially you know the main squads with the men's and the women's, everyone's got their opinions and everything like that. But it's really cool to see, you know, during that that week how to best prepare your players. And I feel like if you can really bring that playing group together, you're going to get the best performance out there because they've already you know done the work, got the skills and, and the strength and all that. But if you can put in some good measures to really gel that team together, and also I'll say this: this is my one opinion from state of origin this year for the men's is. Pick the best players in the best position. Don't be picking people out of positions, as we've seen through the series. But if you can do that and then bring the team together, then you'll probably get a really good performance out on the field. And I think again, that was something like um, we did really well to start. Again, we didn't know we didn't get the result we wanted. Um, the way we, we kind of brought the team together and we did it had a few different um, bits and pieces there, sort of training it. I suppose in that short space of time allowed us to to be a little bit vulnerable at times amongst the group, which is again that's really hard for 18, 19 year olds to to find that vulnerability. Um easy to anyone, but for them probably even more difficult. But they did an exceptional job at it. And I think it um like you said, it helped us gel a bit more as a team. So yeah, we we didn't leave any any stone unturned and our effort effort areas and all those kinds of things we really did well at during the game. It was just some execution stuff, but that's that's funny. Hundred percent. So, growing up as a young lad, what sports did you play? And do you still play any sports currently? Um, when I was, I think uh, started off playing a little bit of soccer, a little bit of tennis. Um, probably wasn't the right uh, uh, 
So I used to play into those sports. I was a bit of a chunky kid. Um, obviously, and living in central Queensland, growing up in central Queensland, rugby league, uh, field, and also probably from about the 8 and 10 until uh, whenever I was playing rugby league or through primary school and high school, and then um, through uni and stuff like that. Um, moved overseas and, and didn't really play, played a little bit of like intramural, like measurable social uh, flag American football, which is pretty cool. Um, just for a bit of fun, but um, yeah, probably the only thing I really did is uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, obviously, gym training and all that stuff aside, but uh, Jiu Jitsu is probably the uh, the sport I'm involved in. I wouldn't say I haven't competed for, for a few years, but um, might be on the horizon to get into some comps again, but definitely um, Jiu Jitsu is probably outside of work and stuff like that is, is more hobby. Uh, That's nah, awesome. I feel like any type of wrestling or, you know, mixed martial arts like that, you probably don't realize how actually tough it is until you do 10 seconds of wrestling or 20 seconds wrestling at a footy training one day. You're like, this is pretty intense. And then going doing that as a sport itself, you probably just don't realize how taxing it is on the body and how strong and um, how much of a capacity you actually need to do it. Yeah, it's, um, it was a bit of an eye-opener, like I, and I suppose, a decently strong human being, um, and then you, you go against uh, like some more experience. It might be you might have fifteen or twenty kilos on him, and it's lining up like a pretzel and taking you into the deep water. So it's um, it's it's probably more so than anything like the the physical capacity and and physicalness, physicality. Sorry, over the side. Um, I think just the the mindfulness that you get out of it and the uh. The ego death that you uh, encounter every time you go to the maths is, is probably the, the most uh, benefit I'm get out of it, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like for us as SLC coaches, if you aren't sort of doing any sports outside just for a bit of fun or a bit of social, definitely go back into it and you'll probably realize some stuff about yourself and how to better coach your athletes and then also understand the way a team should be run as well. So like for me, going back in and playing baseball again after a certain amount of time off and then also doing golf as well. It's like, you know, you're teaching a new skill to yourself and you're like, you're getting frustrated. You're like, why am I doing this to myself? And then you're questioning why you're doing it. And then you start to get it and then you start to perform well at it as well. So I feel like it's a good way to humble yourself, learn a bit about yourself and then apply that back to your athletes and the sport that you're working with. Massively. And I think working in, whether it's in, in the rugby kites or uh, Aussie rules, any any collision or contact sport, but there's definitely some um, some benefits. I've got out of jiu-jitsu. Uh, then I've been able to take take the love life in, in my sport on the mats and, and put it into to some training uh, modalities, whether it's on the field or in the gym um, with the teams I work with. And one of those benefits is you can take down any rugby league athlete that you work with. Is that something that they got to keep in the back of their mind? Uh, not, not quite, unfortunately, there, uh, I, I might have a few tricks up my sleeve, but, uh, giving up 20 or 21 kilos to some of those fellas once, uh, once I'm on the bottom, if they don't get to do it, their body won't, I'm, uh, I'm not, I just try and keep him at arm's length. Yeah, that's good. It's a good, good, good advice to take. So when did you decide you wanted to become an SNC coach? Was this always an area of interest for you? Um, I think I was always like a, a, 
had decently okay-ish Romanian players. So I would uh, I'd probably classify myself as a fringe state league player. Like I was in, in uh, some state league squads there for a while. Um, I probably didn't have the skill or the capacity to, to really um, kick on. Um, and then so during uni, obviously, I, I was always kind of looking for, I was studying exercise science. And was always kind of looking for uh, an edge, I guess, in my training. And uh, what could I do better to, to maybe um, put myself in, in the frame to, to go a bit further with footy? So um, that kind of let me down that rabbit hole about extra gym work and what to do on the field and plyometrics and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of blossomed from there. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd always be interested in training, always like gym through high school and that. But once I uh, had got to a point where I was like, hey, I need to try some different things or do a bit more training-wise to maybe excel my sport, I, um, I started sort of to really get interested in strength and conditioning. No, it's awesome. It's a good journey to have. And I feel like it, you, you can resonate with many other SNC coaches, you know, you did some sport and then just wanted to learn a bit more and then be like, Oh wow! I can actually do this for a job. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot of SNC coaches who are failed athletes like me. So failed athletes, or just haven't found the right sport to excel in yet. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that, uh, that's what I might put it. That's what I keep telling myself. Yeah, um, I think my my athletes always surprised when I tell them that I play baseball, and you know, it's only third grade. It's nothing ex- uh, special or anything like that, but. You know, I think they forget that you're once an athlete or could actually do something quite well. And it's always funny when you can show those skills off to them like, oh, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for for that. Like, when I think, I don't, like, an athlete shouldn't expect you and you shouldn't expect yourself to be an elite level world-class athlete. Well, that's not where we're there to do. I think they can appreciate and understand what you go through through the training process and have to turn up on game day and obviously it's it's not at that um like elite level but i think they can just appreciate the fact that you'll get out and put yourself in any compensated times to do things so like, i don't know like a couple of jiu-jitsu comps have been like a couple athletes i'd work with would come and watch and they, they probably get a little bit more uh, newfound respect and understanding for, for what you do and how hard it is so um and again it's it's that talking about vulnerability like i'm in jiu-jitsu concert i've been, been submitted in front of our suites and stuff like that and there's always a little bit of banter about but again that's all, all part of the uh job and part of the process so i guess again they they get that little bit more even though there's banter and that kind of thing i think they just respect that you, you put yourself in that position to, to be vulnerable like that yeah 100 percent. and then if you can be vulnerable and open and you know share stuff about yourself with your athletes it's just going to build a stronger connection and then you know, you're just going to reap the rewards from that. 100%. 100%. So you spend a bit of time in rugby league now. What attributes are required to be successful in rugby league that you think for athletes and then also as strength conditioning coaches as well? Uh, Look, I think the the biggest thing for athletes, um, they they can never lose sight of the fact that their sport is, their their craft is is the number one. I've seen plenty of, rugby league players who weren't strong um, and weren't overly fast, but 
they present more skill than everyone else and they were able to compete at a high level. And then I, I'm sort of seeing funny rugby league players who block awesome physical attributes, awesome 1.2, strong in the gym, but but could, could barely, barely crack the team. So I think for, for rugby league players like, uh, or any fight rugby codes, like skill is always, skill pays the bills. Um, but obviously there is a, a limiting factor to that as well. So I think um, players just have to always reverse engineer their position. So if you're a the lead or an amateur athlete, you're looking to get right up. You have to think about what what is it that I have to do to be better in my position. So if you're a, if you're a middle forward in rugby league, so you have to be able to have a bit of an engine. You have to have some some kind of aerobic base um, to be able to punch out 20, 25, 30 minutes stints in the middle. You have to be able to have some re- repeat um, speed ability or some uh, repeat effort ability. I guess it's just about running. It's remember it's about getting in collisions and stuff like that. Um, if you watch like the guys like uh, like Ruben Cotter and Wood, Pino, uh, Fasul Moali, uh, their leg speed, uh, they're aggressive into contact, like in attack and defense. Um, then for a player to go back, okay, so those are the things I need. What do I need to be able to, what do I need to do to get better at those things? So, if we're talking about leg speeds, like some sh- axle D cell type stuff, if we're talking about uh, aggressive into contact, am I explosive in the gym? Do I have um, what more weapons? Can I, do I have my bumpers? Do I have a, a really strong tackle, a really strong carry? Um, so it's always, again, relating everything they do back to um, that position. Uh, obviously, we need to find some some general physical prep stuff in there as well, but that's kind of going down another round hole. And then I think as coaches, um, it's the same the same principles. Like it's not all about what, and all strength coaches at some point in their career early on get into the um, habit era, I guess, of just focusing on ticking boxes with numbers. Like, oh, look at this guy, he's got 15 kilos on his bench or he's, not point two times is forty seconds quicker, or so everyone gives a solid pat on the back. But at the end of the day, like that's stuff's always going to be secondary to to how well they perform on the field. So I think strength coaches um, always need to keep that in mind. And the exact same thing applies. Like we need to you know, look at the sport. If you're working with with sub elite or amateur athletes and you don't have the time or the resources, you can be a bit more global cutter. Um, so look at the sport. As a whole, what do we need to be able to do um, to get to where we need to get to as a team physically? So, are we strong enough? Are we fit enough? Are we fast enough? And we can go from there. And obviously, as, we, as you move up the levels, we start to talk about game models and uh, things like that. So, um, we're talking a bit before about working with the Queensland under 19 team. We had uh, a very simple, very effective game model. Um, that everyone knew their role within the game model. Um, and all our, our game plan, both of attack and defense, revolved around that. But if you're working with a team full time over the course of the season, like your pre season, you should be able to character go, how do you, what's your philosophy or what is your um, tactical 
idea. What's your, you, again, it's just all come back to what your game model is. And then as a, a spirit conditioning coach, how am I going to help you achieve that game model? Oh, a lot of uh, great advice from there. And the things that sort of pop in my head is, you know, as, as you said, skills pay the bills. And it's just so cool to see the evolution of rugby league where we have front rowers now who can just slot in to be a back rower and they're expected to do that. And could be expected to play a full 80 minutes as well as a front rower. And I think that's really cool. It's the game has changed and evolved where, you know, you look back in the day, you know, they would run for 15, 20 minutes, get a 20 minute break, come back on and off. And that's completely gone. So you need to be able to evolve as an athlete and have that good motor capacity. And now, and now as a front rower, you're expected to be able to, you know, pass left to right pretty effectively. Can't just be a short pass has to be a bit of a longer pass as well. And you need, you need to be able to do everything. And then if you're a back rower, you need to be able to play center. If someone goes down and you don't have a utility back on the on the bench, you need to slot in to be a center and can you able to to handle that stuff. So I think it's really cool that you yeah, you mentioned the skills play the bills and then what are some things that in essence that we can help you to continue to, you know, improve those skills and make sure that you're robust, resilient and ready to to perform each and every single week. Yeah, exactly. And and like you said, for like in the mission, like you know, the rules. This is with the while I, uh, again, you know, around in today's game, like people like guys like Ken Murray and like his, his writing games, but also his defensive games, awesome. His passing game is second to none. Um, the amount of times, like you see him, you know, throw that little pass out the back at, and 99 times out of 100 on a hit. It is uh, is halfback or is five-eighth on right out in front. So, yeah, like you said, it, the game just keeps evolving and, and players just keep adding more strings to their bike. Mm. And it also popped in my head just watching a bit of rugby union last week was South Africa coming over to New Zealand and being a bit cocky about, you know, resting some players to go play the All Blacks and they're going to win. And, you know, Springboks is huge. They are monsters of, of men. And they do have a lot of good skills and they're very fast and, and really good at what they do. And they smacked the Wallabies the other week. But, you know, New Zealand have that mixture of size, speed, and just robust athletes. And they carved them up over the weekend. So it just shows you that you can have the biggest team out there. But if you don't have that good balance of, you know, skills, speed, power, and all those attributes that we've talked about, it doesn't really mean much, um, especially if you go up against a, a world-class team like the All Blacks who are just going to carve you up and have some smaller players but can just handle anything you throw at them. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, like um, unfortunately, like a team, like you said, like the spring box, you look at some of the players on that team and they're, they're just absolute monsters. And they're, they're probably nearly every game they play at the World Cup, they're going to win the World Monster Park competition, but at the end of the day, that only gets you so far. And like you said, you have a team like the All Blacks, and they've got they they have the athletes, but they've also got the high level of skill in in a sport like rugby or rugby union. Um, skills are always going to win out. Their physicality is important. They're going to be wrong. And there's always going to be no, no matter Henry or Paddy Carrigan's or Ruben Cotters or Cam Murray's are in the game as small middle forwards. You're just always going to be brand in, in the game for the big man. So, um, but yeah, like, like we, we, I said, like you, you still need that skill element. Otherwise, uh, it's only so far. 
Yeah. It's always disappointing when you see a big athlete who's got hands like feet and you're like, oh, like, come on. You should have learned how to pass a little bit earlier and catch. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's still a few of them. They might, they do, they, they, there's always going to be, be a spot for them somewhere if they can be done. Yeah. hundred percent. So we've pretty much touched upon a lot of these things, but can you think of anything else of how strength conditioning training can help rugby athletes to reach their full potential? Um, well, I think, but one you, you kind of touched on it a bit there talking about robustness, and I think um, that that's probably the main one of the main, um, especially working in that rehab space at the Rebellos. Um, there, there is uh, again, I think strength and conditioning is evolving and, and sports evolving, but I think uh, just having that ability to to stay fit, which I've got heaps of the little. Like say that skills pays the bills, but the best ability is availability. Like if you're injured all the time when you can't get on the paddock, or you can't get on the paddock and perform um, optimally, like you're not doing yourself or your team any favors. So I think uh, that's the thing. I suppose well, probably even more so than being strong and fit and all those kinds of things. I think that's the most important part of being an SNC coach, and um, all part of the, the nuance of coaching is understanding what we need to run fast. Um, to, to stay healthy, we need to be able to have a certain amount of strength um, to stay healthy. We need to be able to, again, in, in our collision sports in, in rugby, in rugby league, we need to be able to absorb collisions and, and deliver collisions. Um, we need to be able to to have be strong throughout. When we talk about core strength, it's not just to be able to six-pack, it's about having looks strong throughout posterior chain and core and be able to look, pull all those pieces into place when we're trying to like let guys on the ground and dominate in, in collisions. Um, we've got to be able to, to change direction well without uh, putting ourselves in compromising positions to, that are going to affect groins and knees and stuff like that. So um, I, I think, yeah, outside of obviously the, the obvious ones, like being strong, being fast, we really want to be able to um, stay on the field and stay healthy. And I think that's a, a major part of strength and conditioning. Mm. And I think all that ties into being consistent with your training. You know, if if you can do everything you've just said there, Jared, um, for the athlete and then obviously the coach as well, if you can, can be consistent throughout the week of what of how you're exposing your athletes week to week, consistent gym, field and all that, then you're going to build robust athletes. It's when, you know, oh, I've got a bit of a, you know, Achilles pain or something. Okay, why is that? Oh, I went and did a 10K run. Well, no shit you saw and and yeah. something's come up is because all this this massive spikes just come out of nowhere but if you can be consistent with your training and that's all we want be consistent and then we're going to see results and it's much easier to change stuff and implement some new interventions if it's not going well but if we can be consistent with our load and understand what needs to be ticked off during the week then you're going to be robust and you're going to have a good career and and be able to be ready out there on the field yeah exactly look um a little bit, a lot is better than a lot. A little bit. So if we're, we're like I said, just being consistent, and we're we're firing a little bit of high speed earlier in the week. So we're what arbitrary hammies and that kind of thing. And it's got this uh, for a long go off again. I can't hear it, so it's actually pretty good. Oh really? Well, that's gonna keep going. Yeah. Um, that's not, but that's really weird. Um, no, like we said, look, uh, be consistent and and try to. And again, like educating athletes of why we need to run fast uh, early in the weeks so we can run fast later in the week. Because I've said in the past, where you've got 
So we're in scanning games and, and you might be in training and playing or playing small sort of games or in a home sessions. And if you were a, like a hammer or someone like that, who's just lightning quick, like yeah, they need to run at 80 or 85% to, to smoke everyone in trading. Like you, you don't have to find on sixth gear, but in a game when you're, you've got a bit of space, you just automatically going to find the sixth gear. And if you haven't exposed yourself to that speed, uh, at stage in the, in the past week or so, you really uh, put yourself in a, in a compromising position to to have have some kind of a soft tissue injury. Um, yeah. And again, that's just all part of the education process with players too. Um, a, lot, a lot of players are just, I guess, they're soldiers and they'll just you tell them to do something, they'll go do it. But I'm like, especially younger players you now, they. I want to know why, which I think is good for us as coaches as well, because it gives, um, makes us a bit more accountable and maybe put a little bit more thought into why we do things and how we do things. But if, if we can explain to players, like, hey, you need to, to touch at 90% or 95% sometime today at trading, and you say, this is why, then they're going to buy in being like, yes, sweet, like, no worries. I'm, I'm agree with what you're saying. We're all in. So, um, yeah, like you said, we need to make sure we're consistent and um and it's got to help us stay on the field mm. i always call those moments when i'm watching sport when someone's going full hard and sprinting i'll just go like i like i hold my breath like like yeah I'm like, oh, thank god he got through it and didn't hurt themselves and i always see my athletes at training do it as well and i know we've best prepared them but i still have that moment of like oh, oh thank god <laughs> yeah uh, don't worry i've definitely had a few of those uh in the past watching some blue chip athletes who have come back from Zillion Hearing and they had to help get Zillion Hearts and you're out there for, you know, 15 seconds. Yeah, and you, you know you've done the work and like, oh, I think there's always that little bit of innovation there. Yeah, 100%. So what should a typical week look like for um, athletes in the gym for rugby league during, say, the preseason and in-season on, like, an ideal week for you? What would be some of those things that they got to tick off and be consistent with during the preseason, and then how would you adjust that to the in-season? Yeah, so obviously uh, in, in the preseason, that's when we're, I guess, we're building our, our, our weapons and, and building our, our ability to, to be a good rugby player. So in preseason, we're probably trying to hit the gym at least three, probably four, some guys five times a week. Um, what personally, I like to have like a, an upper body, lower body split. So we might do like a, an upper body day on Monday, a lower body day Tuesday, and then uh, repeat that later in the week. Um, and I think what the Charlie Francis um, kind of vertical integration stuff is the way to do to do that as well. So everything we do at at training or on the field or on the on the mats, everything has to be related. So some some guys will kind of split up our, our lower body days and our, our higher running days, um, which I really don't agree with because we're just on the can off both ends then. Um, but say we have, for example, if Monday uh, we might have like a, a higher, we're going to hit our speed early in the week or so we're going to have our, our live body session in the afternoon. Then on Tuesday, it might be uh, defense oriented day on the field. So it's going to be an upper body day in the gym. And then uh, 
spoke against repeat that later in the week. And then you have some guys who might need a bit of extra uh, perch fee or something like that. So you might chuck on a Wednesday or a Sunday, you might chuck in a, a beach with a little top session there um, to help that along. And then as we get in season, and again, in that pre-season, like you'll, everything's kind of builds up. So we're not going to go in day one and, and do some crazy climate trips or we'll go all out on a clean or something like that. We're going to have uh, what, a, a period of planned progression in our exercises, not just our sets and reps, but our actual exercise selection. Um, so, so even like with them, um, talking about like in cities, well, I want to count for any stuff. So we're not going to go into like any like really aggressive um, single leg RDLs or anything like that. When pre-season leg session number one, we're going to build up to that with some, some like barbell hammy stuff and uh, not too much single leg stuff. And then as we, we get further and further into it, we'll progress there. Uh, in season, I think, say we have a typical seven day turnaround. Um, on your uh, your main training day, so your opposed session, which is say that's generally GD minus three, uh, that's going to be our, our big power day. I'll uh, say so we'll hit some some heavier squats, or it might be again depending on what level you're working at and the athletes you're working with, um, make some what being or chain work. Um, some plyometric work depending on the athlete, um, some hammy robustness. So whether that's a an eccentric, uh, like a Nordic or a race curl or something like that, or some um, isometric work or some hammy catches or something like that to, to really uh, tip the robustness box. And then earlier in the week on our, our GD minus five, that's going to be like typically our, our big strength stage. So we still want to make sure our volume is going to be much lower than in the preseason, but we still want to make sure we, we have that um, strength base um, there. Obviously, again, because of just the toll from, from games and stuff like that, we're not going to be as strong as we were at the end of the six-week block in preseason, but we just want to make sure we still have some strength qualities um, that we can rely on in the two games. Oh, no, it's awesome. It's, it's an awesome insight because I think athletes just continue and, and coaches as well just want to make the most of the preseason. Then when it comes in season, maybe take a backward step and sort of start to be a bit inconsistent with training. And then you'll see that over the, the season, which is quite long. And that's what we've got to remember. It's a long in season that some strength drops off a bit quicker than what we wanted to. And we don't actually continue to improve performance. And then the little niggles come in and then availability isn't the best. So really just got to make sure that you're, you're smart about your training. Like you said, reduce the volume a bit, but you got your, your main lifting days, which you're going to be consistent with and just making the most of your time there and, and allowing athletes to recover as well. So they're ready to, go, to come game day. Yeah, and there's obviously some um, like nuance to that as well. So if you have a short turnaround, like a five-day turnaround, you're only going to have one, one gym session in there. You've got a longer turnaround and you might be able to add a little bit more volume here on the field as well. So it, it's all about, like I said, being, being smart and planned with, with everything you do. Um, but always there's always a, a plan B. There's always something else you can do. So if you're a player who has uh, like tendonitis or something like that, like how can we work around that? So they're still going to have some low body um, you tick a long body strength box there without flaring their knee up 
Um, because again, if we, we flare up things like that, when it comes to our, our main training days in our, our uh, game day, we're, we're not putting them in, we're not putting them in the best position to, to doing our, so it's always and we have to keep in mind we keep in consideration. Hi everyone, we just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. And same question pretty much, but now for the field um, type of training, which is the other part of an SNC coach. It's not just the strength coach, it's also the conditioning part of it. What um, type of stuff do you like to do during the preseason and then also the in-season as well? Uh, it, in the preseason, obviously, it's, again, it's, it's all about, especially if we talk about like in league preseason before Christmas, it's all about building our base as big as we can. So uh, doing the really mundane kind of um, NAS grids and stuff like that um, into the first two or three weeks to, to build that base level of running. Um, and then as we progress, um, we start to add some more change directions, some more off the ground type stuff, some more high speed running, um, things like that. So always starting very general, very broad, and then a little very specific. So looking at, uh, positional differences, um, differences from, from player to player. Obviously everyone has like some kind of a testing, whether it's a 1.2 or a yo-yo or 30-15, whatever they, whatever you use, it's, it doesn't really matter uh, what test you use. Well, what I think, I think it's more about just using that test to, to gather information so we can make sure we're prescribing training correctly. Um, you, you'll see, you've seen coaches in the past, will say like, oh, we're doing an AS today and they'll say, oh, 70 meters on the 70, 70, that's got MAS, that's just a 70 meter, I'll say in 15 seconds, like my, my, 70, my 70 meters uh, it might be working at 115% MAS and for someone else's it might be then working at 80. So I um, think we always have to keep in mind, again, why are we doing things, not just doing them for the sake of doing them. Um, and then as we move into, and again, in that pre-season, we build that base and then we start to get some conditioning effect from our scrimmages and the opponent's sessions and stuff like that. Um, and then as we move in season, it's just more about life management around game day. Um, you might have some niche forwards or some, you might have like a, like you look at uh, an, a utility bench player and whatever, you get 10 or 15 minutes. And often that, that utility bench player is one of the fitter blocks on the field because they're usually someone who's going to be able to cover Positioning like fullback in the halves and the outside back, so they can probably play back row pinch as well. So, um, making sure those guys are still getting enough meters in their legs, whether you do that um, straight after the game, which is it's a tough carry, but um, if, if you can get guys to get a little dose after the game, if they had got the meters in their legs, um, or just getting them to, to find a little bit of an extra effort, um, or GD6 or GD. Minus six or GD minus five, just depending on they can turn around and that kind of thing. So in season, um, just like with the strength stuff, you just have to make sure 
everything you do has been planned and calculated. Um, and think about what your longer turnaround and stuff like that. So on a longer turnaround, if we've had um, some consistent six, seven day turnarounds, then we might have a nine day turnaround. Sure, like you might have a little blowout early in that week, but it's not something you would do if you had a, a five day turnaround. If you were going from a, a Saturday to a Thursday or something like that, like there's no no way in even uh, consider um, anyone in your 17 or uh, in your 22 doing, doing any extra there. So I think, like you said, with, with the running stuff, um, and then again, skids another piece that warm itself. And with, when we're talking about aerobic, we're talking about um, conditioning type running. We're always starting very broad and very general to build that base. And then we get more specific. So if we look at but uh, an outside back or an edge back row, they're going to be covered a lot more high speed measures than a middle forward, but with kick chase and stuff like that. But our middle forward is like, can they change direction? Can they axle, decel, get off the ground? Um, all those kind of things that are really important for their position. And, and yeah, like we talked about earlier, just reverse engineering the position and, and working from there with our, our running and stuff like that. No, nah, it's awesome. And, Definitely some good good advice there and just, you know, yeah, like what like like you said in the preseason, just build that base and then and then earn the right to, you know, add in these little different variations and challenge the athletes as well. Don't you don't have to keep it so basic, but you don't want to then, yeah, like you said, start off and you, you blow out the first two weeks and you you're trying to build character or something like that. That's not really the way to go. I have heard that from someone else who's done that, but you know, earn the right to to build that and then change and add the variations in as you go. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way to put it. Like you, you have to earn the right to run fast. You have to earn the right to, if you're in an extras group, you have to earn the right to get out of that group, whether it's because of skin folds or body weight or, or your fitness. Um, look, the reason being, like as strength and conditioning coaches, like we, we need to be able to, I suppose, the players from themselves at times. Like you wouldn't want a player who just, on the back, off the back of a uh, season, you wouldn't work. I wouldn't anyway. I wouldn't have players doing like twenty meter sprints on on day one, week one or two of preseason because you don't know what they've done for the past six weeks. And you want to make sure that they've got some running resilience and only resilience built up before you expose them to that. Man, out of a So, what do you think is often neglected or forgotten in a rugby league athlete's S and C program? Uh, I've been pretty lucky that uh, the, the jobs I've worked with uh, we've got pretty good um, staff uh, in terms of finding any any tracks or finding any any holes that we might have in our program and making sure we we fill those gaps. Um, I think and it, I think it's uh, again. Things that we talked about as far as like your, your resilience, so like things like calf strength and groin strength and stuff like that, um, get overlooked. Um, maybe again, not at the, the elite level, like, um, both at the, the Cowboys and at the Rabbit Eyes, like everyone's pretty good with their, their calf resilience stuff and their, their Copenhagen's and stuff like that. But I think, um, younger athletes, I think it's really important. And the, the beauty of those kind of things too is it's very easy to, um, to take care of what all you need is a step and you can do it. If you can do 20 single leg calf raises on each leg twice, two sets and 20 twice a week, you 
really helping yourself out there. And it might be some some wild lever and short lever Copenhagen's and stuff like that to tell with that groin resilience. Um, especially if you're a lot sitting outside back or a spine player, uh, where you're going to be kicking and, and cutting and changing direction a lot. Um, but I think outside of that, like it's, I think there's no um, there's no secret sauce in strength and conditioning. Um, but again, for for most sports, I think it, in rugby league, in rugby union, if you can just do the basic ones really well, um, you go all the way to to helping your athletes out. So you don't have to have some kind of intricate, crazy like dominating resistance or um, crazy rep schemes or cluster schemes like that. If you can just make sure your players are ticking all the boxes as far as uh, limit patterns go and then obviously fill in those little gaps with their our core strength um that what heavy growing car for a busters we're really happy well, i think that's probably one thing um i've probably paid a bit more attention to late over the last couple of years i wouldn't say i've changed all my ideas around but i would say probably put a bit more emphasis on those things and probably a bit more emphasis on um like our rotational and heavy rotational work throughout our trump. Um, because you look at, again, when there's legal union, there's so much work in that, in the co- in contact, whether it's um, in a ruck or a wall or in a three-man temple or whatever it might be uh, in league, um, having that poor strength um, to, to help get into awkward positions and be strong in awkward positions is really important. Oh, and... A groin and a calf injury is just a really shitty injury to have because they both take a a while to rehab and just, yeah, it just sucks. So if you can do those little one percenters, like you said, at home, you just need a step or a bench or something along those lines. You can get your your brother or sister to hold hold your leg for a Copenhagen. doesn't matter what it is. Or you can just do skipping. You don't even need a skipping rope to skip. You can just jump up and down on the spot, pretend you're skipping, get some good, you know, calf stiffness and really make that area robust. And then you're, you're ticking up a box and you're most likely not going to get an injury in that area. And or if you do get caught in an awkward position, like you said, you're robust enough and resilient enough to withstand that and then be able to continue playing on. Whereas if you didn't do it, something bad might happen, unfortunately. And I think there's, there's some really good, uh, when we talk about like, half resilience and, and that's like that. I think there's some really good um rinse offers out there. We like answers and some really good like um dribble progressions or sorry there um they like uh, pogo progressions and stuff like that. Like there's there's a million things out there. So if people are interested in that kind of stuff or want to know more about it. There's, there's plenty of stuff out there to to help um suppose look for, for athletes to to just and also for coaches to get some ideas as well. Oh, now that probably leads well into my next question is what are some um, other sports that rugby athletes should look to and gain some knowledge from and then apply it to their own sport that you that comes to mind for you? I think uh, well, again probably probably a bit biased here but I think there's definitely some, uh, some credence to a bit of uh, well, grappling whether it's jiu-jitsu or like, freestyle wrestling Um I think there's a lot of, again, there's some really good resources out there on the internet that, that are starting to uh, put a bit more time and effort into that side of things. Um, but not just going, again, same thing as, as what we were talking about before, you're not just going in day one and 
and going into shark bait drills, something like that. We're, we're having some playing um, contact impressions in the gym on the mats, but before we even get into contact, what are we doing to make sure our shoulders are robust, our pores are robust, um, all those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, definitely there's some, some credence to that. And also like, uh, technique and stuff, a solo, like it's a completely different fitness when you, you in a grapple, if you're in a six minute round, um, or six minute rounds of jujitsu on the mats, um, it's a long time struggling to breathe. Yes. They're struggling to breathe and you've got someone in a scarf holder inside control and you try to create space and that kind of thing. A lot of isometrics and stuff like that in there, and I think um, guys can get a bit out of. And especially if you wrestle or grapple with some some really experienced guys, because obviously if you go in, if you're a rugby athlete and you're like, oh, I will get my wrestle better, and you go in and I wrestle on some white belt or, or blue belt who's uh, sees the pink mist and they just try and rip your arms off. Or that's not going to help you be a better rugby player when you've got a torn. Uh, rotate the cuff, but if you go against some, some really high level guys and you say, like, Hey, look, I'm not doing this to grapple, I'm doing this for, for these reasons. So, but those really experienced guys, they understand what you like, what they can and can't move to organize your body, um, but also like make what hard for you when you're on the mat. So, whether it's like holding you in a certain position, not letting you escape, not letting you get underhooked, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I think the, the other thing I think, and we're starting to see look, a lot more, uh, yeah, strength conditioning always goes through different, um, I wouldn't say fads, but different cycles of what, what's popular. And I think at the moment, look, there's so much stuff out there on what sprinting and game speed and all that kind of stuff. So I think um, you look at track athletes, obviously we're not going to be track athletes, but I think there is some credence to the stuff that track athletes do. And I think especially in terms of, um, I look, you know, I talked about Charlie Francis before, like we should, yeah, our training days should be high days or low days. If we're, if we're in the middle, we're just treading when we're not getting better. We're not through the other side. I think there's a bit of credence to, uh, looking at some of the stuff that the track and field coaches do. Um, and again, I think you talk about periodization and, um, planning and progression what some of the best coaches I've um, seen talk or taken information from the track and field guys no it's awesome three sort of areas that you can look towards and for me with that question as well popping up in my head um, those those sports are awesome and examples for me it's looking at towards say some of the American sports you know I think for rugby union rugby league athletes how to manipulate your body to be able to um, sidestep more efficiently and then also, you know, juke out or fake out the the opposition as well. And um, currently working with Aussie Rules, part of the, say, the key forwards is, you know, separating yourself or giving a nice little push off to, to mark that ball. If you can look at how some of, you know, the wide receivers versus the defensive backs or then even some of the NBA athletes, how they get around screens and fight through screens, if you can look how they do that and then apply it to your sport, that's a game changer for me, I think. Yeah. Massive. When you talk about, like, again, wide receivers in, in that one-on-one versus a defensive back or like a, a big in the NBA where they're under, they're 
go and get the ball. Like it's all good again, having that coach's eye and and when I've seen like, oh Lord, the things they're doing there, like I can look quite some Westwood over here. So um yeah, that's and again that's I, I'm something I hadn't really thought of, but again it's something I you know, haven't um time in my but it's one of those things where you look at those other sports and you start to to borrow ideas because that's we're we're standing on the shoulders of giants, I guess. Like the, the only way to get better is to maybe think get sort of the block sometimes and, and see have that creativity about you that you can uh, look to other sports and get better that way. Yeah, hundred percent. So when you get some spare time during the week, what do you like to get up to? What's some uh, interesting hobbies or habits that you you got going on? Um, obviously, like I said, get, getting on the mats, jujitsu is good. It's good for the the mind, probably more than anything. So you've got an hour and a half. All you can think about is is what you're doing at that that point in time, where you're going to get poked or tapped or whatever. Um, like to read a bit too, but um, probably the past like 12 months or so, 18 months, I made a point of trying to read a lot more. Um, and lots of journal articles and and things like that, just fiction or other books to, to get away from it a little bit. Um, maybe like cooking, um, went, went through like the, the sourdough phase in, mm-hmm. in uh, Lockyer for a bit there, but made a few lines to me, uh, last few little, but uh. How to get a bit adventurous with cooking like at, at the moment. It's a little bit of time, like um spending like a bit of an afternoon getting dinner prepped for my partner when she comes home from work. So try and make myself useful. Ah, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely the sourdough. There was a lot of guys just making sourdough bread and hearing the process to make it, I was like, Oh, that's quite weird to get the end product. It's, but hey, it's, yeah. it it is what it's it is. That, it was pretty, uh, it's very involved. Like it's not just whacking some yeast and flour and water into the um, food processes. So I think like when you, you take it all into account, I know the juice is worth the squeeze. Like it was always nice to have a finished product at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand why when you go to like a, a nice bakery, you know, like a sound arm is three or four times as expensive as that. I don't know. Like Wonder White or whatever off the shelf at the supermarket. I know, 100%. So, next part is something new that I've done on the podcast. You're the first one, Jared, to do this. It's just random questions that I thought I can't really tie them in perfectly to how I wanted it. So, I'm just putting it to one category, and the goal is to try and answer them as short and as quick as possible, if you can. Some topics just you can't. But I feel as sometimes as SC coaches, we do go down the rabbit hole and just explain something a bit. Um, over the top well we should have probably kept it a bit simple so the challenge is for you today is to try and keep the short and sweet and seeing what um sort of golden nuggets we can we can get out of these uh questions that's going to be a real challenge for me i uh i have a, a tendency to waffle on at times but i'll do my best yeah that's all right so how do athletes make the most of the rehab training and bounce back from injury um let's trust the process and, and what we've talked about all day tonight, be consistent. Oh, 100%. What main data points should coaches look to help uh, improve athletic performance using GPS technology? Always relate, relate it back to the game and the position. Um, if we're looking at specific metrics uh, for, for league and, and probably union, um, total volume, high-speed running, um, percentage of max V, and then like our Axel DCL metrics. We can tick those four boxes um, and keep them 
again, we look at what we do in a game and we can make sure we're following that volume or that, that speed. Um, we're, we're helping the athletes out there for sure. Especially, and because there is so many data points out there, you don't want to waste too much time, especially if it's just you and you don't not having any external help and you've got a whole bunch of squads and there's all these different things going. If you've got those key areas that you want to look at, just look at those and that's going to be the best uh, for you and for the team as well. Yeah, you're better off just keeping it keep it to the bare minimum and uh, focusing all your training on that. What is a common misconception you hear in SNC in the, in the strength conditioning field that is just wrong that you hear all the time? Um, again, I think the tide's shifting a bit, but I think, and it's probably not so much in our country, uh, it was definitely... And again, I think the tide's shifting over there as well in the, in the States. But um, when, when people are, there's too much focus on strength, strength is never a weakness, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. I've seen guys who play, play test, test match football who, who couldn't bench under kilos. So um, being strong is, is good, but it's not the be all and all. So, what has been a big game changing moment in your coaching career that stands out? That is a tough one. Um, I think that when I moved to, to Sydney when I left the, the cows and I went to the Rabbitohs, uh, it was probably uh, an exciting time for me, like going from that elite parkway where I, I dabbled in the NRL stuff, but wasn't my main focus to being uh, all in with the, the NRL stuff. Um, that was that was probably the game changer. Uh Probably was reinforced um, that, I, that I was good at what I could do. Like, but um, yeah, everyone has a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes, but it probably, um, yeah, probably just um, solidified how what I put down, no matter what I'm thoughts you might have in your head deep down, you know what you're doing, and, and you should have confidence in what you, you can do. Mm, 100%. And if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, obviously, and getting a, and getting a message out to millions or billions, what would you say, and why would you why would you have that message up there? Uh, I've uh, I've thought about this one. I think Zachy Moon said it best when he said, "Everybody love everybody." Uh, well, I think if people put aside like religion, race, sexuality. What music you listen to, what car you drive, like put all that stuff aside and just treat everyone nicely and be, be a good person, uh, we'd all be better off. Well, you could have went many ways with quoting Jackie Moon just then. And I've seen a couple of TikToks where it's like, um, it's got a serious, you know, background to it. It's like, I always remember this quote that Will Ferrell said, and it jumps to the scene where he's screaming at the ref, um, saying some words I won't say right now. So that <laughs> popped up in my head and I was like, shit, is he going to say that? But yeah, no, I already loved it. Yeah, that's funny. Yes. And last one, what's the top three books that everyone should read? Um, well, I had one book that I was going to put on this list, but I wouldn't put on the list, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's Libertarian, like Flamet McCarthy. It's probably a bit McCarthy for most people. Um, so that might be a stand book, but number one, maybe probably the, the best book. Um, I would say the best book I've ever read was uh, When Breath Becomes a Air uh, by Paul Kelly. He, he was a, a neurosurgeon, um, a genius of a man, and he got 
ended up dying of cancer. So it was a very um, interesting book and basically split into two parts. So he spent the first part of the book is talking about him being a surgeon and all the things that come along with that being a brain surgeon, like in the echelon of echelons as far as like smart people go. Um, and then the second half of the book was more about his diagnosis and how he dealt with that. And I, I think the main message there was um, we you can't, can't worry too much about the, uh, the the things in life that get you down. Like at the end of the day, I'm not going to be like the hero. Yes. Um, everyone goes through through their, their shit. But um, at the end of the day, like it's, it's all been people you love. Um, not... Not ashamed to say about the last chapter, which was written, which was the epilogue written on by Larry Logger, a baby. Um, but I think that's what everyone should read. Um, number two, uh, Endure by Alex Hutchison. Um, another really good book. Um, in that, uh, strength coaches, athletes, everyone, sh- I think, should read it. It's, it's quite interesting. It talks about how far, what as human beings, like how far can we really push ourselves physically to the limit? So I mean, I he talks about like Kipchoge with the marathon record, um, some stuff with like Edris climbers and things like that. Gets into a little bit of physiology, but not too much. Um, and number three, uh, I think well, this is a tough one. I get probably one, one book I, I read recently is uh, it's a book called Twenty Eight by uh, Brandon Jack. Who uh, friends that he played? So he's twenty eight. Does he played twenty eight games for the Sydney Swans? Um, he's here in Jack's young rock. Um, and it's just a really interesting read, especially especially after working when you work uh, in a league sport. Um, you have a different perspective on uh, on not just the sport, but on the athletes themselves. So you see most most sports autobiographies it's about the guy who played three hundred games and he was a champion. And he, he won all the trophies and played for his Wallaby or Kangaroo or All Australian or a Socceroo or whatever. And the stories that they've had, but they definitely have their ups and downs, but it's always like a champion. Whereas this book's probably a bit more of a, a realistic look at what life is like as a professional athlete. Uh, every block, again, there's a bit of CBA stuff going on at the moment in rugby league, obviously. And People complain about how much players get paid and this, that, and the other. Um, but I'll back to players 110 to 7 with whatever else. We're not after Kim Will Mayonnaise. They won't be looked after medically. They wouldn't be looked after beyond their playing. Is you might see you've got the Cameron Smiths of the world, but for every Cameron Smith that plays 400 games, there's a bunch of blokes who play 20 or 30 or 40 games and have no meniscus or no ACL or their shoulders are cooked or their neck is cooked. Um, and they didn't, uh, they're not going to be on TV and, and earn the money after their game. So yeah, 28 by Brandon Jack is another really good read. Um, it's probably uh, a truer reflection, I think, of, of what life is like as a professional. Hmm. I'll definitely make note of that and um, put that to my list of many books that I got to read as well. Audiobooks is the way to go for sometimes. It's a good little cheat code that you can easily yeah. get through some books. Agreed. Mm. All right, last part. We'll smash this out because we have been talking for quite a while now. So Triple H 
Can you think of a hardship in your coaching career that sort of stands out? And how did you get through this hardship? And what did you learn along the way? Uh, probably, probably the uh, during the COVID um, period, getting put down. Um, and everyone working professional sport in this country, I think, in some degree or another, but but still down. I was working in the uh, elite pathways at the time at the Cowboys. So, um, when the when the club started back up, I didn't get back to work. I was actually lucky enough though that one of the sponsors at the club was able to to hook me and a few other guys up with uh, instruction labouring jobs, which uh, obviously some is collaborative working in professional sport, but um, like financially pretty good. Um, and I think, yeah, obviously now we did that for six or seven months and then went back to work at the end of 20, was that 2020, 2020? Yeah, 2020. And uh, I think just it gave me the perspective on the map. No matter what, a, a shit bad coaching um, isn't that bad. I've got, I was out in the middle of nowhere in, in Queensland, working in red dirt, banging star pickets into the ground. Um, so it can always be a lot worse. Yeah, 100%. Um, who was your hero and why is this person your hero or if you have um, a couple of heroes? Oh, uh, this is a, a tough one. Um, Hero, probably, probably personally, like I wouldn't. Hero's probably not a lot, but I just, I didn't, my, my young brother always had a lot of respect for him. Uh, he, he was lucky enough to, to play, played 21 NRL games for the Cowboys. Um, he added his fair share of injuries, I think three, three ACLs along the way. Um, but through all that, like he never, he never wavered, he never, Expected anyone to feel sorry for him. He just cracked on with it. Um, and he's done pretty well beyond football. Um, then probably like he'd be talking about like, uh, yeah, outside of like personal stuff. Maybe someone like, um, yeah, geez, really struggled with these for him. Uh, yeah, but I got nothing, I got nothing for you. That's okay. Um, yeah, I think there's like I wouldn't say heroes, but there's obviously there's always a few people coaching wise you kind of always look up to, like Dan Cass. I, I'll just think that he's a again not not a hero because um, I think he would be the first to to say or if someone to do it as a hero, yeah, tell them what he really thought of him mm. um, because it had all this coaching and stuff like that. But I just think the way he approaches life and his approach to coaching and athletes is really good as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really struggled with that one. But yeah, those two guys right there. Awesome. And the last one, what is a highlight that stands out in your coaching career so far? Uh, I mean, probably, again, because I've worked in that elite pathway space, anytime uh, uh, guys I've worked really close to me can make, like, make their debut, that was always really special. Um, especially probably the last couple of years, I've had a, been lucky enough to see a handful of guys I've worked with have made their origin in Test debuts and guys like um, probably the two guys that um, well, there's, there's a heap of them, but probably again the two guys who went through a couple of injuries and stuff like Tommy Gilbert, like he's had a couple of shoulder issues and, and that, and then Greg kind of seeing him like the way he played during the, the Origin series, um, he went through 
two ACL back-to-back ACLs in in the space of twelve months, um, and not once did he try to complain or again didn't ask for any sympathy. Just every day turned up and, and did what was asked. But yeah, you can see like those guys, Murray Talongi, Hammer, Jeremiah Nanai, like just those guys. You've known I've known a few of them since I was like, fifteen or sixteen, and, and again like oh, I'm gonna ever ever gonna play in with Islanders. Like any coach that says like they were the reason they got to that level needs to have a good hard look at themselves in the mirror. But it's just nice to know that he had a little bit um, to do with them and and hopefully gave him a little bit of a little sprinkle of your uh, magic dust to, to help him along the way. And then, yeah, it's just nice to see those guys achieve their goals. And, and yeah, I think that's it. That's the whole beauty of working in sport is you get to work with guys and hopefully see them achieve um, what they've got it put their life on hold to do. Oh, 100%. It's a great feeling. So last couple of questions. Who should jump on my podcast next to, um, you know, jump on for a chat? Is there any uh, coaches or athletes that come to mind? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, on Bilder would be invited to have a look. Um, you see him on the field and he's a little bit tapped. Um, he sees the, the pink list a lot, Tom, but off the field, he's a gentleman. Um, he's... Very well spoken. Uh, it has a lot of uh, interesting things to say. Look, he's, again, he's one of those players. He's completely different person once he crosses a line, the wide line. But once he's off the field, he's a, he's one of the best going. Um, then coaching wise, I think um, Andrew Kroll would be a good guy to get on. Uh, X's and O's wise, Crowley's up there with, with some of the, the best I've worked with. But I think the thing that makes him uh, who he is, his, his rapport with the players and um, his ability to to get guys up and, and rear to go for, for training sessions and stuff like that. And I think that's, uh, like we you talk a lot about the X's and O's catching, but beyond that, it's about creating relationships, things like that. And he's really good. Ah, that's awesome. So where can listeners find you on social media if they want to reach out and connect? Uh, probably the best places to get at me. Um, and we won't or a bit of shop is either on Twitter uh, or on LinkedIn. Um, if you just, again, just search my name on either of those and find me. Um, and I read a pretty open book, so I'm always keen to, to talk to, to young coaches and older coaches and, and whoever who wants to, again, talk a bit of shop and be able to ease off each other. Sweet. I'll put that in the, the link down below on the show. And, yeah, that's all the questions I have today, Jared. Thanks for sharing your insight it's been great i've learned a lot and i know other people will learn a lot as well and um thanks again for joining me today it's been awesome no worries kieran appreciate it mate thank you thanks for tuning into another episode of elite rugby snc podcast remember to like subscribe and rate elite rugby snc on spotify and youtube and make sure you follow us on instagram sign up to come beast via the link in the description or via instagram page also don't wait make that good decision and join elite rugby snc today and take your game to the next level Thank you.